Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were all in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and, the, and with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately, there were, uh, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they all questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the, all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately uh, uh, they, they told him about her. And he came up and took, took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, as the sun, uh, as at sundown, they, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout, the, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said, I will be clean. And immediately leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in a desolate place and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of God. Uh, let's pray. Father, it's nice just to be here and uh, slow down, to pause, to be with each other, to be with you. 
Thank you, Father, that you've spoken to us. And you tell us about yourself and your son, Jesus. Help us now, Father, because we need your help with the power of your spirit to keep us alert and attentive to what you might say to us to open our minds and our hearts that you might have your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've always had this sense that I've always wanted to be uh, bilingual. And I don't know if you can speak more than one language, but I've always wanted to do that fluently. Um, So I I learnt French for a while at school and German, but, but that, you know, that was like in the past. And then when I went to Bible college, I learned uh, Greek, which is not that kind of useful in terms of speaking because it's a dead language that's not spoken. So that didn't really help me. Um, And so I've never really been able to pick up another language and use it fluently, but maybe, maybe you can. But as you think about it, we are all bilingual in terms of the Bible because there's two types of languages that we listen to. And we're fluent in both, which makes it such a challenge. And that is the language of lies and the language of truth. And if you've, you've begun to follow Jesus and you call yourself a Christian, uh, that battle between which one to listen to and to dialogue with and to use becomes a present reality and a heightened battle, but with the great help of the Spirit. So you have a heart that's now able not only to hear the truth, but to live the truth and to recognise lies, thanks to God's Word. As we come to Mark's Gospel, Mark has started his account of the life of Jesus by saying, you know, he's giving us truth about Jesus. And so he's made some claims. Gab's already referred to them. He's he's claimed that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the great Saviour, and the Son of God. There's some big claims, aren't they? I mean, if, if I said to you, I am the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, you either think I was just an outright liar or something really seriously was wrong with me, and that'd be right. And you'd also expect, okay, if that's, that's the claim you're making, let's see it. So now we've got Mark making a claim about Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, and it's like, okay, let's see it. He's making claims, he's making promises, because what comes with being a Messiah and the Son of God are promises, because when kings, when saviours turn up, good things are meant to happen. We might have in our minds when we hear of kings as, as ruthless tyrants who come and destroy and slaughter, which is actually not what a king's meant. You meant to picture a king who comes and rules and reigns for the good of his people. And as he does that, they flourish. And so here we've got Mark 
holding out Jesus to be one like that. And so what we want to see is the promises kept and whether the claim made about Jesus, he can actually keep those promises and live up to that claim. That he actually can do good for people and cause them to flourish. And so what we have in Mark chapter 1 to the section that we've come to now is Jesus stepping onto the scene. And we get to, thanks to Mark, watch and see what he does to see whether he actually has the power to keep the promises, whether he lives up to the title of Messiah, Christ, Son of God. So let's go there and have a look. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where we have the promise, the promise of Jesus. After Jesus was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Did I say Jesus twice? After John was put in, thankfully no one was listening. Uh, after, what, what, someone talking. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Proclaiming the good news. This is good news. Of course it's good news. The king's bringing it. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. It's near. I'm it. I'm the king. And he calls for a right response to that. Repent and believe. And we'll come back to that in a little while. That's the promise. I've come. I'm a king. I'm bringing good news. The kingdom's here. Respond to it. Experience my goodness and you'll flourish. As I said, now we, Jesus steps out and we want to see, Jesus, do you have the power to keep your promises? Are you the king? And so in a series of events that happen that we're going to really skate through, we're going to see the answer to that question. Verses 16. Let's have a go back there. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with a hired man and followed him. Just then I, I was thinking about the father. What, what would he have said? Hey, hey, where are you going? Poor guy's left standing in the boat. This guy, Jesus, has turned up. The first guys, it's like, come follow me and I'll send you out at once. They left their nets and followed Jesus at once. One of the things you might have picked up in the Gospel of Mark is it's short, it's sharp, and it's punchy, and it's fast-moving. And you get it from those kind of phrases, without delay, at once. There's power, isn't there? There's authority. For us, the opportunity 
to go independent from our parents and move out and do our own thing. You know, we can't wait for it. Different culture. Here, it's, it's not, that case, not the case. It would have been a massive surrender of a, of a lot for them to leave their families. Their lives were caught up together. Come follow me. At once they left and followed Jesus. Power over people. Let's go on to verse 21. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. That stands out, doesn't it? These people would have come and heard someone teach week after week, week after week. Yet when Jesus teaches, it's something different, isn't it? As you think about it, teachers, they have authority, don't they? I mean, just I'm teaching at the moment and just by the mere fact that someone's asked me to do this means there's a sense of authority about what I'm doing. But actually, that authority doesn't come from me, does it? It's not intrinsic to who I am. You're not listening because of, because of me and my being. Because you think someone thinks you should listen to me. And then even that, then I, I'm, I'm saying my authority isn't of me, it's, it's of God and his word. Listen to that. That's what have happened every week for these people. But when Jesus teaches, it's a different kind of authority. It, it's not got its source from anything else or anyone else. It's because he is authority. Because what he's saying is him. It's not derived truth or power or authority. It's, it's him speaking. And so he has authority. Authority over people, power over people, power to teach and authority over people in that way. And let's keep going and see what happens next. Verse 23, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. People were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. This man, it's one man, but do you notice what this one man says? Have you come to destroy us? It's like there's an army of demons standing in opposition to Jesus. And they know who he is more than it would say seem the people around them. Crystal clear. Have you come to destroy us? What does that imply? They know he has authority to do that. Here is Jesus up against an army of demons who would seem to have power. And Jesus has power over them. Come out. 
And this is different to the other events, isn't it? Because with the other events with the teaching and with the people, it's sort of like, you know, the world we know, the earth, the earthly world, the physical, the tangible. But hang on, Jesus is interacting, speaking into the spiritual world here, the unseen. He can actually speak into that and things happen. That's remarkable. Authority over the spirit world. Let's continue, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. Another remarkable event in the life of Jesus, someone who's sick. He speaks with authority, exercises a power over sickness. I get distracted by details and I don't think I'm meant, it's not so much a distraction, I'm, I'm meant to see them. So did you notice that Jesus actually went to her, took her hand and helped her up. Why did he do that? Because he didn't have to, did he? He could have just spoken like he has before. You know, like he did the Lazarus. He didn't go in there to the dirty, smelly tomb. He just said, come out. Still worked. Jesus, it's, it's a wonderful an account from Mark of Jesus' humanity and divinity at the same time. His humanity is, he knows as humans we need touch. And so he touches her and helps her up. An exercise of his human yet divine power. There's no rehab with this lady, do you notice? No going to see physios and all that sort of stuff. And the proof of that is she gets up and starts waiting on people. At once. Immediately. Without delay. Instant. That's power, isn't it? That's power. There's a famous quote by a guy called Abraham Kuyper that says, there is not a square inch in the world domain, oh, sorry, there, isn't, there is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. Well, that's, this is evidence of that, isn't it? He's sovereign over all things. The things we see and the things we do not see. He's sovereign. He's got power, authority over those things. Yes, of course, he can live up to the claims that he makes and keeps his promises. He's just shown us in the display of his raw power and compassion. And that's what we've got on view here. 
I wonder what frightens you. And I don't mean just mean spiders, although that's okay if that's, that's true for you. But what frightens you? What might wake you up in the middle of the night at the moment? I know what frightens me. Where on earth I'd live when I stop working. That actually frightens me. Jesus frightens what frightens you. Jesus frightens what frightens you. That's a line I've heard from my, a new friend of mine, Zach Eswine. I heard him say that the other day in a sermon. Jesus frightens what frightens you. That's a profound statement, isn't it? Because what frightens you, you, it has power over you. Jesus has power over that. He just displayed it in the account Mark's given us. What frightens us often means we don't believe that God's present with us, that he can hold us up and that he can get us through. That's the result of believing the power of what frightens us. It robs God of his power. But what we can see in Jesus, his power is greater He is with you, he can hold you up, and he can get you through. But there's another thing to reflect on here. So we do see Jesus' raw power and compassion in his acts here. But this is like a trailer or a preview of more to come. And why do I say that? Let's go back and have a look at some verses here. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I came. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. That is a bit odd, I think, in the flow of what's just happened, that Jesus would get up in the morning, early in the morning, like really early, leave the house, go to a solitary place and pray. I mean, that's particularly odd for us, living in a hurried, busy culture. Well, that's just like a miracle that someone would do that. We don't even know what it is to be solitary. Just to remind you, that means to be alone. (laughs) In a healthy way. Where you choose to be because you want to sit in quietness and hear God. Can you think of a moment 
of solitude from this week? Were you left? You were alone and you prayed. Yes, it's odd for us culturally, but it's odd in terms of, look at all the amazing things Jesus was doing. Why is he stopping? Why, why is he trying to get away from that? And he does this often, doesn't he? He escapes to pray, escapes to pray to the Father. Why doesn't he just keep doing the amazing things? Well, Because he says, oh, I've come to preach. I've come to give the promise of the kingdom. And I'm giving glimpses of it in what I'm doing. It's like a preview of more to come and what I'll do in completion. By doing what he's doing in his acts of miracles, he's giving us a glimpse of the kingdom that is to come. It's present, but it is to come. It's a promise of more. All that is broken will be fixed. All that is sick will be healed. All that needs restoring will be restored. All that he's begun to redeem will be fully redeemed. All that he's begun to transform will be made to be what they're meant to be, and that is to be like Jesus. What a great promise. What an amazing promise. This is good news, isn't it? The king has come, and he's giving us glimpses. Let me tell you a story about this lady called Helen the Healer from the second century, recorded by this person who, who uh, recorded what was going on in that time. An account of this was found. And he talks about uh, healers of the time. And he says, but Helen is different. She came to Philippi with a conviction that God loves the suffering and she determined to participate with God in this love. I met her near the synagogue when she was talking to a group of blind beggars. I was surprised when she didn't even try to heal them, but bought each of them a new cane and reminded them that the curbs on Caesar's Boulevard were especially high. She reminded them that they should be especially careful because it is so hard to hear a chariot coming down an unpaved road. Someday, she told them as we walked away, light will be universal and every eye will behold the eternal love. That didn't feel as though she had cheated them. She's not much of a showwoman, I'm afraid. She just mixes with humanity in order to take divinity as far as it will go. I am the richer to know her. Sister Helen opened a great crusade in Philippi on Thursday and is the sensation of the leper colony. She rarely does anything one could call a miracle. Last week, she laid hands on a little crippled boy and was not able to heal him, but she gave him a new pair of crutches and promised to take him for a walk in the park here in Philippi. Yesterday, with my own eyes, I saw her pass an amputee selling styluses. She touched his legs and cried, Grow back! Grow back! In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, grow back! Well, Clement, I so wanted to see the legs grow back, but they did not. Poor Helen, what's a faith healer to do with an amputee that refuses to grow legs on command? She sat down with the little man, crossed her legs on the cold pavement and began selling styluses herself. Soon she was talking to him and before very long they were both laughing together. 
For an hour they laughed together, and by nightfall they were having an uproariously good time. When it was time to go, Helen's legs were so stiff from disuse they refused to move. Her legless, stylish selling friend cried in jest, Grow strong, grow strong, grow strong. Helen only smiled and staggered upward on her unsteady legs. She looked down at her lowly friend and said, I offer you healing, you will see. It is only one world away. Someday, she stopped and smiled, you will enter a new life and you'll hear our saviour say to your legless stumps, grow long, grow long. Then you'll know the glory which Sister Helen only dreamed for you. He, he smiled and said, do you heal everyone this way? She said, it is better to heal with promises than to promise healing. It is better to heal with promises than to promise healing. You're right, Sister Helen, but more than right. You are an evidence that our Father yet heals the spirit of amputees, even when they'll not grow legs. And once this spirit is healed, the legs can be done without. Jesus holds out the promise of more to come, of more to come. And he has the power to keep those promises. And you see, the reality is that we contribute to the problem, don't we? That's why Jesus calls us to repent and believe. We need to repent. We are sinners ourselves who have gone our own way. We believe the language of the lies. Satan himself is the father of lies and we've listened to him over against God, the source of truth and the promises he holds out. And so Jesus calls us to repent and that does not mean firstly a change of behaviour, all the typical behaviours we, we think. It's, it's not a call to stop swearing, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop looking at pine, chewing gum and going to dance parties. It's not firstly that. The word's actually metanoia, the change of your mind. To say, I'm no, gonna no longer listen to the lies and I'm going to listen to truth and the promises of God to deny one its power and give one its rightful power in the form of Jesus the King and submitting to him and his commands. To believe those promises to be true for yourself. So much so that it shapes how you speak, live and act and your attitude to life. It is to surrender to surrender and say, no longer I, no longer the lies and all that's brought me, to give up those things and say yes to God and all that he promises and comes with following him. I want to read you part of a story that I read in Eternity News in the last day or so. 
And I guess what I want to say firstly is um, to give you a, you know, what's been known as a, commonly known now as a, as a trigger warning. And, and this is a story about a mum who's cared for her uh, daughter who's really struggled with significant mental health issues. And as you know, that's been true for me, or still is true for me. So this is a trigger warning for myself to prepare myself as I read this. But I'm not sure where all of you are up to, but if you're up to a, you know, a space or a headspace at the moment that you need to heed that trigger warning, please do. I'm going to read in a moment, and if I start reading and you think, actually, it might be better for me to go and do something else and come back, you can do that. But let me read. This is the mother speaking, and these Molly's not the real name of the person. She says, I've always sought to affirm Molly, remind her of God's love for her, to stress that at no point ever would her friends and family be relieved if she decided to take her own life, that she is loved, that we would never get over if she walked in front of the proverbial bus. Last year, Molly called me clearly distressed. She wanted me to know that she was suicidal. The call was a cry for help. I was in an Uber at the time. Over the course of the next 20 minutes, the driver drove with the radio off, totally respectful of what was clearly a very difficult call. The voice in her head was relentlessly telling her that she was worthless and everyone would be better off without her. She did not know how to turn off that voice. After nearly nine years in the power of God's loving wisdom, the concerned mother became the stern one. I addressed that voice. Molly, listen to me. That voice is lying. Are you listening to me? That voice is a liar. You need to know that no one will be better off without you. If you do anything to yourself, your friends and family who love you will never get over it. Do not listen to that voice. That voice is a liar. What a wonderfully loving, wise mum. Sometimes, if not all the time, we need to call out lies for what they are. There's a phrase that psychologists use, which is, you've got to name it to tame it. If you want to get it, the lies in your life under control, you've got to call them for what they are. And they come with messages, don't they? Whatever the lies are from Satan, from the world, from your own flesh, call them for what they are untrue, whatever promises to give you immediate satisfaction or relief, well, the scary thing is, often they do, don't they? But it's not lasting. And we need to name the lies, call sin for what it is, and believe the truth promises of God and all he is to us in Jesus and what that means we are and who we are. 
you know, it, it's typical for preachers to get up here and say, you know what, you read your Bible and pray every day. It'll fix everything. It's sort of like, it's not a sermon without saying that. But in, in light of this, it's obvious that I should say that, isn't it? Because the lies just keep coming. You wake up every morning and they just keep coming. It's so important to be reminded of the truths. Hear the language of truth and the promises of God. For a long time now, I've started using my phone and apps on my phone to start the day hearing some truths from God because I so need to hear them before I race up off into the day. Often I've woken up hearing lies. I need to get to them very quickly. And so I open my app and I just commit to some plan that, you know, that's there for the sake of committing to it and so I don't have to think about it. It's called what, you know, what's called a, a micro habit. You set it up, a small habit, so you do a big habit you really want to do. And so I quickly get that promise, yes, thank you, Lord. It's like an appetizer for the day. There's some excellent books up there. I mean, pastors also talk about books. But seriously, great food to start the day. Hearing the language of truth and promises from God so you just get used to how good it is and it grows your appetite for it. And so also you can spot the lies. Often as Christians we think the challenges that we're experiencing and the doubts we're experiencing are because of, of intellectual questions we have and so that, that's often what we address and, and that may well be true for you and it, it's important to have those addressed but I think actually what's more common is, is the experiential that's causing us to doubt God and listen to the lies it could be actually having experienced some negative things at a church or from Christians. It could be other experiential things like losing a job and not being able to find a job. Losing a relationship or not being able to find a relationship. They're the things that actually deeply affect us, aren't they? Where, and I love the phrase where Satan gets a foothold and uses that so that you listen to his lies. There's two particular teachers I remember from high school, Mr Skinner and Mr Riley. Uh, Mr Skinner was the French teacher and I was actually reasonably keen to learn French and so I started doing French. I can't remember what year it was. But Mr. Skinner really didn't start sort of on the right foot with me. Because in our first class, he started calling me Monsieur Hoppity Hopper. Yeah, I didn't think that was funny. <laughs> As I don't remember the other incidents that eroded my kind of whatever with him. But let's just say I didn't keep doing French. 
And then there was Mr. Riley. Now, now Mr. Riley, he taught economics. And I really wasn't that interested in economics, but I chose it. And Mr. Riley's the guy who used to meet us at the beach at six o'clock before school and surf with us. And then in his uh, Holden Kingswood station wagon with the roll down back window, which you're looking like a screensaver, what on earth is that? Look it up, very cool. We'd, we'd stick all our boards in the back, we'd pile into his car, most, most of us didn't have seatbelts, as teachers here are just cringing, who does that? And then drove us to school. At lunchtime, he would put on uh, surfing movies, so we had something to do at lunchtime. Now, Mr. Riley, he was like the teacher I wanted to be with. I, I became increasingly keen on economics, and I did it all through to the end of school. He drew me to himself and so his subject. We're relational like that, aren't we? How about with Jesus? The more you're drawn to him, as we've been done today, be more drawn to believe him and trust him, surrender to him all that you are holding on to and embrace him as enough. You're not going to let go of anything if you haven't got something to hold on to. And what we're seeing here in Jesus as we get to know him, step by step through the account of Mark's gospel, is that you just want to embrace him more and more and increasing your belief in him. And so you let go and surrender more and more as you get to know him. And he is enough. I wonder if we could close our eyes. Let's just take a moment to, to be quiet. To think on the things that we need to surrender. maybe to confront the lies that we believe, to acknowledge the destruction that they bring, and our, open our hearts to God and his truth for us and promises, knowing that he can keep them as we see in Jesus. Maybe you want to open, you put your hands out, open your hands, just as a, a gesture of being open to God and surrendering everything. Father, we want us, we want our hearts to be open to you. Please open them. Open our eyes to see the lies that we believe and live by. Help us to be real about the destruction they cause in our lives, in the lives of those around us. Father, open our hearts. Please speak to us and say to us what you want to say. Do in us what you want to do. Make the changes you want to make. 
us to make another step towards Jesus because of how good he is. Help us to listen to you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.